Welcome to episode 66 of Contested Catch. It is time for our Thanksgiving special here ahead of week 12. Uh, just ahead of week 12. We're recording this on Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Eve, if you will. And of course, I'm joined once again by our co-host, data specialist, the man, the myth, Jeff Gould. Jeff, how's everything going, my friend? Hey, well, uh, isn't Thanksgiving Eve usually referred to as Blackout Wednesday? It may or just, may not be. Not in, not in the year 2020, but in past, in years past. Yep, yep. Uh, it depends on the circle, I suppose. Um, well, good stuff. I'm glad to have you, Jeff. Uh, you know, I guess we'll kick it off by saying uh, how thankful we are for people to be listening to Contested Catch every single week. Um, we appreciate you guys. Obviously, you know, we try to uh, show love where we can and just know that, you know, it really does mean a lot to see uh, people tuning in every single week and, you know, obviously using the tools on the website, engaging on Twitter as well. So we thank you guys and we're thankful for you in this uh, holiday season. Um, and, you know, obviously I'm very thankful for my amazing family, uh, you know, health, job in 2020, um, you know, just a, a ton of blessings in my life. Jeff, what are you thankful for in this uh, in this season? Well, thankful for Taysom Hill's tight end eligibility mm-hmm. on ESPN. Mm-hmm. I think as we all were, at least those of us who were able to roster. Him. Yep. What about uh, DK Metcalf? Uh, 100%. He, he might be the best present you, you'll receive in 2020. <laughs> could, could be. Austin Eckler's return mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. imminent. Okay. Okay. And of course, Josh Allen, like all Bills fans. Absolutely. And of course, and you know the uh, deal that brought Stefan Diggs to the seven one six. Who would you rather have uh, right now, knowing their contract and uh, what they've done in twenty twenty, Stefan Diggs or Justin Jefferson? Mm, you know, for like the Bills and just football in general. For the Bills, I like Diggs. Um, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with. I mean. Like with hindsight, I still would would have made the trade because like there is no guarantee Jefferson um, slides and you know, or gets uh, up to the speed. So like I, I mean, I guess you know we don't need the money. So I love I love the Diggs trade, and he seems like he's a great fit on the team. Um, you know, leader in the locker room. So I still take him. I agree with that. Um, Jefferson, you know, as I've said many times, has far exceeded my expectations for him in year one. I thought he was a really good prospect. Um, you know, with this said, who knows if he would be able to be doing the same things on a different team where he's the wide receiver one. Um, you know, he's got Adam Thielen to take pressure off of him and operating as a wide receiver two. You know, I guess we've seen Stefan Diggs step out of that role and into the wide receiver one role in Buffalo, and it's just been phenomenal. Uh, but, you know, there's just no guarantee that we get the same level of, of play from Justin Jefferson. And we know that Diggs, uh, you know, we know that Diggs is a true number one wide receiver, best route runner in the league, uh, making big time plays like he did at the end of the Arizona game. Not quite the end of the game, but uh, could have been the end of the game, I suppose. Um, anyway, OK, good stuff, Jeff. Um, you know, just to give everyone a top level view of this episode, because, you know, it's not going to be the standard, I suppose, because it is a Thanksgiving special. Uh, we're going to talk about the Thanksgiving NFL games, which just got shorter by one, and we'll get to that. Um, we'll be talking about the DFS slate on Sunday, of course, as we always do. Uh, we're talking best bets for both Thanksgiving and on Sunday. Recent events in the NFL since we uh, did not have episodes last week. And, of course, talking about our Buffalo Bills ahead of the Week 12 matchup against the Chargers. So, 
With that said, all right, Jeff, let's build a Thanksgiving DFS lineup. And this is going to be a little different than people are used to. Uh, we're going to first, we're going to start with uh, establishing the captain spot. And Jeff, I'm going to ask you to pick turkey or ham. Turkey, not a discussion. Yeah, I agree. 100% agree. Ham's, ham, so I, I'm not even a fan of ham, like in general. You know, life hack uh, for Easter, skip the ham and get a nice lamb instead. And Christmas, uh, you know, get a filet or something. Skip you know, the ham. ham just is, get, get the lamb. Yeah, skip the ham. Get the lamb. There's I don't know, ham's just like not a hot. Like it's not a something I look forward to. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. Uh, I'm gonna build my lineup beside yours. Um, next up, the core of the lineup. We're gonna pick three out of this list. Okay, so listen closely: mashed potatoes with gravy, cornbread, stuffing, sweet potato casserole, cranberry sauce, green peas slash beans slash assorted veggies because they all need to be lumped into one. And other, if you have something that I have grossly miscalculated and missed. Um, mashed potatoes and gravy are an absolute lock. <laughs> They're the free square of the week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I do like having some sort of corn dish. It could be cornbread, could be like a corn casserole. But so for, you know, simplicity, though, I'll go cornbread. Um. I mean, I'm not a fan of like green peas or beans, but like if you made that like roasted Brussels sprouts or something, that would be the number three. Okay, gotcha. So I'll go with like a little, you know, the veggie, but. Okay. Yeah, yeah you know, for me, um, my absolute favorite player uh, on the slate is sweet potato casserole. Um, it's my favorite, favorite dish. My mom just makes it that bomb, bomb, dank, dank. Um, it's, it's got the pecans on the, on top. It does not have marshmallows. I think that is uh, heretical to have marshmallows at the top, but you know, be that as it may. Um, obviously, I'm not going to pass up the turkey stuffing stack, um, you know, and mashed potatoes with gravy, like you said, free square of the week. So um, that those are my three. Now, Jeff, we've got uh, our dessert flex here. We got to pick one out of pumpkin pie or apple pie. Sorry to anyone who is, you know, big, big fans of any alternative pie options or dessert options for Thanksgiving. We are going to keep it down to these uh, the two top picks here. So, Jeff, pumpkin or apple? Apple. Okay. Uh, I mean, it'd be apple and then it'd be peanut butter. Peanut butter. Okay. I'm not, you know, I'm just not that big of a peanut butter guy. I know some people are like obsessed with it. Like, I like PB&Js. I like Reese's, but I'm not like obsessed with it. Peanut butter pie sometimes gets a little overwhelming to me. I think, I think I'll just to differentiate our lineups here and make sure, you know, we get a good spread, uh, you know, capture some variants. I will go with pumpkin. And then last but not least, we are going to do a, uh, one more flex spot. That's the wild card family event on Thanksgiving Day. So we've got four options here. We got to pick one. Uh, top is political arguments at the dinner table. Way too drunk, way too early family member. Small but smoky kitchen fire with a chance for a burnt turkey. And worst case scenario in Thanksgiving NFL slate for your bets and fantasy football. So you got to choose one of those four options, Jeff. Which are you choosing? I'll go with the way too drunk, way too early family member. Is that just for the entertainment and, value? Yeah, a little bit of the entertainment value. Um, it was usually not somebody from my direct family. It's, you know, cousin or aunt or uncle or me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, I behave at family events. So, but yes, I will go with that one. I don't know. Political arguments are not fun. Smoky turkey. Eh, that's not the worst thing, but uh, I like my food proper. 
And of course, we're not jeopardizing our Thanksgiving, our Thanksgiving slate here. Oh, never. Yeah, I, I was between way too drunk, way too early family member and political arguments. They're kind of one and the same. Um, so I'll go with political arguments Since just to are, keep they the. They usually do go hand in hand. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. I think I should put these uh, put these options up on Twitter. Uh, and get some polls going. We'll see what other people come up with. Um, okay, good stuff, Jeff. I'm glad that we uh, have some DFS lineup generation going on for Thanksgiving uh, dinner table. Okay, good stuff. Um, let's shift over now to the real Thanksgiving games, and there are only two of them. Um, you know, obviously the Ravens Steelers game, unfortunately, postponed to Sunday now due to the COVID outbreak with the Ravens. Um, that is, you know, not ideal, but it is what it is. This is the reality of 2020. And so I know that Steelers players are upset. I'm sure Ravens players are thankful that they don't just get, you know, uh, an L, uh, this week, but it is what it is. So that game is now on the Sunday slate. So we'll touch on that later in the episode. Um, the two games that are on Thanksgiving still, and they do not appear to be moved back at all. It will be Texans lines and Washington Dallas. So let's start with the first Jeff and, uh, it's Texans minus three. Um, 12.30 p.m. Eastern time is the game. The highest point total of the slate, uh, which is not saying much because now it's just two. Uh, it was it was the highest, including Baltimore and Steelers, at 51 and a half. Um, personally, Jeff, I'm taking Texans minus three really without any hesitation. I think we just saw Detroit play its worst game uh, of the season. And I think we just saw Deshaun Watson really really you know he flexed in the end zone after that that rushing touchdown but i think he really flexed on the league saying don't forget about me i know his name's been slept on in in recent weeks but remember he's free from bill o'brien now and free to do uh more of what makes him so great so i think that texas minus three is the bet there any additional thoughts from you jeff uh this might be matt patricia's last game as an nfl head coach well there you go it would be fitting if it were an l don't you think Oh, well, absolutely. Yeah. Um, any any thoughts from you on this Lions backfield? You know, obviously DeAndre Swift has broken out, but has a concussion. He practiced in a limited fashion on Tuesday. I've not heard of any update on Wednesday. Um, you know, do you have any concerns if he's if he's active, if he's a game time decision? You know, how are you playing the situation? Um, if he's active, I'm firing him up. You know, he's you know basically a running back one at this point. It's not like it was a soft tissue injury or anything you know not to downplay the severity of concussions but uh you know physically he's fine so yeah. fire him up as long as he's active in terms of re-injury risk it's not one of those injuries that we typically uh associate with you know re-injuring in game the following week so that is at least good um okay so moving on to washington versus dallas uh obviously battle for the nfc East. <laughs> dude it's unbelievable what's going on with the nfc's they are in a three-way tie for second place uh they are three and seven each and the first place team is three six and one so it's a really exciting situation in the nfc east um but anyway three and seven washington versus three and seven dallas uh dallas is favored by three points or the over under is 46 um we see andy dalton come back and we saw zeke return to form um you know definitely looking more like the zeke we're, we're used to um and we saw cd lamb tony pollard tony pollard still is better <laughs> no change there uh and then we saw cd lamb probably have the catch of the year so far you know adam thielen had a, had a great one uh, in week 11 as well but cd lamb's catch is just like like literally like he froze time um anyway jeff i like washington plus three 
and I'm very tempted to take the money line. I'll get a little bit more to the money line in a little bit. I also like under 46. I think that both these teams are probably, uh, you know, going to be more conservative, uh, play for the win, play not to lose rather than play to win. Um, and so I'm thinking Washington and the under. What say you in Washington versus Dallas? I am going. <clears throat> I am going opposite on both of you. Both of those picks. Okay. There. Um, I mean, I think with the over under, neither team's a strong defense, and Andy Dalton was, you know, pretty good. Dallas runs a lot like higher pace, so I think like that'll that'll just help push things. Um, you know, they're not really going to be able to cover Terry McLaurin that well. Antonio Gibson is, you know, continuing to do well, even if the uh, coaching staff doesn't want to, you know, just feed him. But yeah, I think uh, over under 46, I, I think that'll hit pretty solidly in that. And I just think Dallas really is a better team. Um, yeah. Dalton, like we said, he's serviceable. This reason we had something, a measure called the Dalton line for uh, so long, um, you know, because he's a quarterback that can get you to the playoffs when the pieces are around him. He's just not going to win anything beyond there. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting matchup. There's talented skill position players at both sides. Uh, I do think Washington's defense is a little bit better than you're giving them credit for. Uh, you know, especially with this defensive line um, that is wreaking havoc, you know, just True. just wrecked Joe Burrow, obviously unintentional, terrible, terrible. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about the Burrow impact and fallout. But um, anyway, I, I think that it will be a lower scoring affair. I think Washington uh, at plus three or even the money line is an interesting bet because I think Andy Dalton coming back from COVID uh, versus Alex Smith, they're kind of similar players at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Alex Smith to keep his momentum going. He's been an amazing story so far. So I'll roll with the Washington football team in that one. Um, so if you parlay my three picks, that is uh, Houston minus three, Washington money line, and the under 46 in Washington, Dallas, you get a plus 721 bet. Uh, I think it's pretty good. 10 to win 72. It's n- not bad whatsoever. Um, or if you just go Washington money line and Houston minus three, you get plus 339. Obviously, those are probably going to change a little bit, especially as the betting window has uh, shrunk as the Ravens Steelers game is no longer on the slate. So, okay, good stuff. Before we go on to the next segment, um, let's do our fa- fantasy uh, fan question of the week. And that question is brought to you by. No, I'm just kidding. We don't have sponsorships. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that question yet, is not yet. But if you want to, yeah, if you want to, slide in, slide in. It's got to be a good offer, though. We're holding out. Uh, how much is Miles Sanders' production tied to Carson Wentz and his level of play? And so I got this one. Um, you know, and it's I. The reason I want to talk about it, Jeff, is because we obviously talk a lot about Miles Sanders. Things have been shifting a good bit in in Philly. Uh, we've seen Miles Sanders. I think look better than he has. Like he has had more chunk gains um, than than we were used to him seeing before. And then he kind of faded last week in the uh, in the or sorry, I should say more frequent chunk gains rather than just you know kind of mediocre rushing and then one long one. Uh, he did have a fumble in the red zone after carrying the drive in the in, a, in the first half um, in week eleven. Jordan Howard was brought back uh, and he was brought back to the practice squad after being waived by. Miami, and then was promoted to the active roster. So, uh, you know, there's just a lot going on with Miles Sanders, not to mention the rumors, not even rumors, but speculation that 
the Eagles could take a look at Jalen Hurts at some point this year, continue to swirl as Carson Wentz continues to struggle. Jeff, what's your what's your you know thinking here on the Philadelphia backfield, specifically Miles Sanders, but also I guess just at the Philadelphia offense as a whole, which has a lot of fantasy relevant players. Um. Well, I mean, they also just activated Jordan Howard to the you know put him on the active roster. So it's almost as if like as good as Sanders has. You know, Ben, I don't think he's been like this, you know, breakout player that people wanted him to be from being drafted in the first round, but he's still been solid. And it was almost like that the narrative though that oh you know, Peterson doesn't want a bell cow. Like we are sort of seeing that with him getting multiple touchdowns, Vulture and Jordan Howard's back on the team and on the active roster. They, they really just don't seem to want to give him that full bell cow role. Um even though he does have the explosiveness that no one else in that backfield has. And obviously, you know, Wentz has just been bad and just is currently limiting the ceiling of everyone in that offense. Yeah. I mean, I think Miles Sanders is an RB one still for sure. And I also think that, uh, Oh, sure. It's, it is also like an indictment of the little bit of indictment of the position as a whole. Yeah, that's fair. Um, for fantasy purposes. I mean, he's only touched, uh, 20 carries, once and that was in his first game after coming back from the injury uh i also just think that the the nature of this offense has just been so you know it's just been so disappointing and some of the injuries have caught up to him you know ex- early exit in week six from baltimore after uh you know a great start to game nine for 118 you know ripped off a huge gain um and i just the other thing is what has been incredibly frustrating i've watched every philly game um is Carson Wentz is allergic to throwing an accurate pass to Miles Sanders. And when he overcomes that allergy, Miles Sanders has a tendency to drop it. He's allergic to throwing an accurate pass. (laughs) Fair enough. You could say that. I mean, it really is just unbelievable, though, because the easiest pass should be the check down, you know, five yard check down to the running back. And for some reason, him and Miles just cannot get on the same page there. So there have been so many points left on the table for Sanders in the receiving department. Uh, I text Brett backdoor bird about it all the time because he's an Eagles fan. He's watching as well. And we just kind of wallow uh, in, in sorrow together. Um, but anyway, I, I still am optimistic about Miles Sanders long-term stock. I think he is a great player. Um, and I think this Eagles offense is just, you know, feeling the sting of these injuries still with on the offensive line and also definitely below expectation play for Carson Wentz. So, you know, maybe we'll, we'll see this turn around. I don't think, um, you should be selling Miles Sanders unless you get comparable or better value. Uh, I do think that this, the role is better than maybe the the bear case makes it out to be. Just because, you know, he got a vulture from Corey Clement on one carry. That's just not very likely to continue. And uh, Boston Scott had like, I think, four carries. And one of them was a 50-yard touchdown. So good on Boston Scott for actually doing something there. Um Okay, that's our fan question of the week. Jeff, let's move on to fantasy football storylines. Um, obviously, we talked about Taysom Hill a little bit already with his tight end eligibility. If for some reason you've been under a rock recently and you did not catch any of that, uh, the skirmishes on Twitter about his eligibility, ESPN made him tight end eligible um, shortly before he uh, Drew Brees went on IR and Taysom Hill became the starting quarterback. You know, even that week of, it wasn't clear that Taysom Hill was going to be a full-time standard quarterback in terms of uh, what we expect, especially out of New Orleans, but he was, and I think he actually looked really good. I, I still saw people ragging on him. I'm like, I think you guys are just holding on to your priors at this point because he had the two rushing touchdowns. Um, he looked dynamic in that capacity. He didn't turn the ball over. Oh, actually, sorry. He didn't throw an interception. 
he did have a long run that was negated by fumbling at the end of it, but that just kind of, you know, that happens. It's kind of random. Um, he had a 57 yard touchdown nullified for holding. Yep, exactly. He threw a bomb. Uh, people were like, oh, the, the arm strength. I'm like, come on, the arm strength. You don't say that about Drew Brees. Maybe it's just because it's like known. Oh, we do. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> it should say it's known that Drew Brees doesn't have good arm strength. And yet it is. Known. It's not like you're I mean, Taysom Hill, 30 year old guy doesn't have a, a he has a long string of uh, injuries dating back to his college career. He is used kind of like, a, I don't know, a battering ram outside of his quarterback reps. So in terms of his long-term viability, I'm not sure. But I mean, for right now, Jeff, like I think people have to be kind of thinking about him as an actual quarterback play in the next two weeks, as long as Drew Brees is on IR. Uh, what say you about that? Yeah, um, for fantasy purposes, at least, uh, he seems like he's QB1. I mean, 20, it was the Falcons. Do need to keep that in mind. But he still put up a strong 24-point performance. And he has that Konami code, um, which is one way that even like bad quarterbacks in real life, which I'm not saying he is, um, but bad, like, you know, say like Tim Tebow, he was a really good fancy quarterback, despite not being a good NFL quarterback. Um, saw it with Josh Allen prior to this year, where he wasn't always a good NFL quarterback, but he was good for fancy because he could run the ball. Taysom Hill, two rushing touchdowns. Um, so, yeah, like, I mean, right now in our league, I have both him and Cam. Currently, I haven't changed my roster from last week, and Taysom's still just sitting there at tight end. So uh, unless I'm forced to change it, um, yeah, I might just keep roll out that two QB lineup. But if I have to, I mean, I, I think you're going to have to. <laughs> if, big if. Um, I mean, I would actually consider starting him over Cam, or at least depending on play the matchups there. I'm in the exact same situation in two in two of my leagues. Um, Cam Newton's been my quarterback, very similar profile to Taysom Hill, actually, in the sense that you're really playing them for that like RB two high end RB two level rushing production, um, the consistent threat of goal line rushing touchdowns, and then you know you just add the passing points on top of it. I think Cam has actually been a much better passer than he was earlier in the year. Um, so that's a good sign for him, but I mean, Taysom Hill, five incompletions, 10 yards per attempt. I thought he looked good and people were ragging on him. I think you just ignore them at this point because guess what? You're just holding on to your priors. You're just, you were just a hater in the first place, I think. So, you know, we're, I'm leaving judgment, ultimate judgment about, about him, but I was optimistic. I thought playing him was the right move over Jameis. Um, I thought I, what I said was signing Jameis was the right move. And playing Taysom now is the right move. Um, so that's what I thought. And I think it's worked out for the Saints so far. Um, but Jeff, two other you know pieces of, of the news here with Taysom Hill being a reasonable play um, was that Michael Thomas is back and balling. He was fed. And Kamara saw his first game without a catch in his career. So we see two polar opposite impacts here. Now it's just one game sample. Uh, we're not going to read too much into it, except for the fact that Michael Thomas probably looks right back to being a, a locked in wide receiver one play. 30% target share, 50% air yard share, and eighth in rock the last three weeks. The first two games really weren't much, you know, 13 combined targets, uh, uh, 78 yards and seven catches. So really nothing to write home about. But last week he had 12 targets, nine catches, 104 yards, no touchdowns yet. But obviously, like I said, really strong indicators the last three weeks. Alvin Kamara, on the other hand, Jeff, no catches, only one target. First time in his career, he hasn't had a catch. And the real concern here is that not only is Taysom Hill taking rushing work from him, not that big a deal because Kamara has really been 
uh, fed in the air through the air, especially with Michael Thomas out for, you know, seven weeks. Um, now he's not getting any receiving work. I mean, this is a concern, don't you think? Absolutely. Um, you know, we knew all along that whenever Michael Thomas did return, it would dial back Kamara's receiving work and he wouldn't be putting up probably likely wouldn't be putting up those McCaffrey S games we saw for a few weeks stretch. Now it's like a double whammy. Thomas is back to siphon off a lot of those targets. And you have a mobile quarterback who is instead of just flipping it out to Kamara short is going to keep it himself and pick up the yards with his own legs. So it is concerning. It is also still only one game. I would imagine that they'll find other ways to make sure he gets the ball, but we may not be seeing him as a top three fantasy running back until breeze. If breeze returns, just something that we have to, you know, be, you know, cognizant of as good as Kamara is that the situation might, you know, limit that like, you know, weak winning ceiling or reduce the probability of it happening. Yep. Agreed. Um, and you know, it, it, one thing that was said by Taysom Hill, I think someone was saying, uh, I think I heard it in the coverage of the, of the saints game was that, Hey, you know, do you have someone from like the practice squad or, or, you know, a player that we may not be used to hearing their name call a lot that you have a lot of rapport with just from your reps that we don't usually get to see. And he said, nope, I am feeding Michael Thomas. And guess what? Michael Thomas had over 50% of the team's targets in week 11. Uh, I think that there might be a uh, maybe some sort of squeaky wheel effect where Alvin Kamara is like, dude, are you serious? You gave me one target um, and I'm already splitting rushing work with Latavius Murray. And then you take 10 carries and 50 yards and two touchdowns for me, too. Uh, I think that maybe it was just kind of like, hey, let's just see how things work. OK, now we adjust. So I'm still optimistic about my, about Alvin Kamara. You know, we know he's an amazing player. It's just the volume not being there in the first game with Taysom Hill is a concern. And we know we've got at least two more. Yeah. And the other thing to keep in mind, like Kamara also saw one of his worst rushing efficiency games of the season. Um, but we didn't see them do a lot of run design, like option type plays that we've seen other teams utilize mm-hmm. with mobile quarterbacks, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Rees or at least give the threat of Taysom Hill keeping it. We didn't really see a lot of that. You know, that's another wrinkle that they could add to the offense in the next few weeks that would also increase Kamara's potential rushing efficiency. Like we've seen with Bills and Allen, Ravens and Lamar. Even um, the Chiefs with Mahomes. You know, I mean, they, they run option yeah, a lot. Exactly. You know, Cam Newton's team. So that's another dimension that we didn't even really see that they could add with Taysom Hill as a quarterback. Yeah, very, very true. Um, you know, and still, you know, we know that Alvin Kamara is a great player. He still managed to rush for a touchdown, 13 carries, 45 yards. You know, the lack of receiving work hurts, but, you know, when you're still doing that, you're still putting up double-digit fantasy points. So, uh, you know, I guess that's a, that's good news at the end. Um, okay, and then, you know, as we talked about earlier, Joe Burrow went down with a devastating knee injury. Um, just to kind of circle up on this and talk about the injury fallout for the rest of Cincinnati, you know, Cincinnati has been a pretty impactful fantasy football skill position group. Uh, they've got multiple viable wide receivers. T Higgins has been a revelation as a rookie. Tyler Boyd, uh, has been even better than I expected, even though I was already way above market. I think on him expecting him to serve in that Justin Jefferson type role. And, you know, uh, AJ green is, has many, many mixed feelings. He did have a touchdown last week. I think that he is totally washed and not worth considering, but, uh, who knows with this quarterback shuffling. Cause now Ryan Finley came in in week 11 and then it sounds like Brandon Allen is going to be starting for Cincinnati. So 
I think that that is a kind of a concerning situation there where this guy who, you know, had, had a horrible performance in spot starts for Cleveland last year, Brandon Allen, um, then turns around and gets promoted from the practice squad is now he's starting for Cincinnati. So Jeff, I want to ask you, you know, and obviously I didn't even mention yet the Giovanni Bernard and Joe Mixon, whenever he returns, these guys are dependent on good, good to reasonable quarterback play as well. Uh, who are you more concerned about right now, Jeff T Higgins or Tyler Boyd? Um, I would say, I mean, they're all taking big hits. I think I'd probably be more concerned about Boyd than Higgins. Um, you know, so Brandon Allen, three games started in Denver last year and Cortland Sutton was like a serviceable or decent fantasy player in two of them, I believe. So uh, I just think that, you know, this is very small sample size, gross, like extrapolation, but outside perimeter receiver, throw the ball up and let him go get it. Um, as opposed to needing a little bit more chemistry and timing potentially with the slot guy that Boyd is. And I do think it might be good. I would say good, but Bernard might see the lowest drop in production if they look to run the ball a little bit more to reduce the pressure on Allen or, you know, those shorter swing passes to just get the ball out quick, avoid pressure and rack up the receiving points a la J.D. McKissick. I'm kind of on the other side of things here. I guess I've been a little bit more optimistic on Boyd uh, than the market, you know, basically since the summer. But I think that Boyd's profile is just much, much easier to work with than T. Higgins' profile in the sense of how they how they have been traditionally used in Cincinnati. You know, Boyd getting double-digit targets uh, multiple times a season, just that high-volume slot receiver that can be the safety blanket that the court that the coach uh, Zach Taylor can be like, hey, let's move the chains here, let's throw it to a guy who's usually open in the middle of the field, as opposed to let's take deep shot after deep shot. Although Brandon Allen may have done that, that doesn't necessarily mean that the coaching will be the same. The strategy will be the same. I think T Higgins is still a really good player, but you know, he was volatile in the first place because of that, you know, higher air yard role. And I still, I I would feel that the ceiling has definitely taken hit on both. Um, I think the floor is lower on Higgins. And so with that said, I will ride with Boyd. Uh, you know, unfortunately Boyd is, uh, probably relegated to high wide receiver three value. Now, uh, I'd probably rank him in the, uh, mid to late twenties, you know, hope, hope I'm wrong there and too low. Um, a guy that I am not too low on, uh, have not been too low on him is Adam Thielen. Adam Thielen is finally back to balling. Now he, he may have COVID, uh, he had a positive test and a negative test. So there's still investigating that, but he has four touchdowns his last two weeks. He has 18 targets his last two weeks, which is really, really good. Uh, eight for 123 against Dallas in week 11. I said a few weeks ago that Adam Thielen was 100% worth buying. Uh, the, the indicators on the rock were very strong uh, in his favor that that it was just not going to stay. This era of, or that period of the season where Dalvin Cook was just dominating all the touches, all the touchdowns, all the work was not going to last. We, you know, we've seen this offense run this way and uh, Dalvin Cook, when he does go off like that, where he had almost 500 rushing yards and you know, however many touchdowns it was, it's great. It's the ceiling, but it's not sustainable. It's not going to stick. And guess what? It hasn't. Adam Thielen is back to balling. And we already talked about Justin Jefferson a little bit earlier, but he is balling as well. Jeff, uh, any concerns about firing Thielen up as a wide receiver one or Justin Jefferson as a wide receiver two rest of the season? Just COVID. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, because Thielen is on the COVID list. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, that's like, you know, obviously we're not firing him up if he's on the cover this Sunday, but otherwise no, they're both just plug and plays. Yeah. Good stuff. Okay. Um, Moving on now to the revival of Robert Woods. All of a sudden, uh, I had just talked about Robert Woods in the last two weeks about how he is kind of destined to not do anything this year. Um, you know, when he was when he was scoring, uh, it was it was few and far between. They didn't feel that sustainable because the red zone role usually goes to Cup. They also have the tight ends and the the pretty robust running game. And then all of a sudden, Jeff. Robert Woods gets 15 targets in week 11. Now, you know, Cooper Cup continued to ball as well. He had uh, double-digit targets as well. Really good game. Robert Woods, 15 targets, 12 catches, 130 yards, and a touchdown. Really, really strong volume indicators there. Um, Still not this super, you know, lucrative high air yard role or anything, but at the very least, there are signs of life from Robert Woods' stock. I own a lot of Robert Woods uh, because I am a fan of him, and he's still produced this year, especially in PPR formats. But just, you know, the volume hasn't quite been there like we expected. You know, what are your thoughts on the Robert Woods situation in L.A.? I mean, he's just a great player. Um, you know, they, like I said, you know, receiving work wasn't there, but they were also just giving it to him on the ground. And I mean, that's just because he's teams only do that with good players that they like, at least, you know, consistently. Um so, you know, now they just didn't give him the ball on the ground, but they get, you're easily able to get it to him in the air. Um, so, I mean, I love Bobby Trees. Wish we still had him in Buffalo. Uh, but, no, great player. Makes great plays. Goff is looking better. Um, it was the thing I, with, like, Jared Goff. I mean, we do rip on him and say he's a bit fraudulent, but like, when things around him are, like, the situation around him is pretty good. Like, he does run the offense effectively. Yeah, yes, like that is a system quarterback, but he runs the system really well as long as, um, you know, like the offensive line is not really breaking down around him. You know, he doesn't thrive outside of structure the way the best quarterbacks do, like we see with Mahomes and Ross and Watson, Allen, Kyler. Like he doesn't do that well, but if within the structure of the offense, like he runs it very effectively. I mean, they had the best offense in the league just a few years ago or second best. Um, so as long as they're firing, like Woods and Cup are both, you know, legit players. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, he can execute for sure. I think the main concern is that whereas other quarterbacks are more resilient to changes in the situation, he needs a clean pocket typically. And he also has had great uh, receiving weapons for a while now. Also, you know, the the head coach doesn't hurt with Sean McVay calling plays. Um so I think that our stance is still really justified in, in, in being skeptical about Goff and his talent uh, and ability. But, you know, you, you said it well, Jeff, like when things are right around him, he can execute. He's not like it's not like you're throwing. We're, we're saying he's like Brandon, Brandon Allen or something like that. Or just a player that you don't have confidence in regardless of the situation. Um, so, yeah. OK, good stuff there. Uh, continue to fire up Cooper Cup and maybe Robert Woods is due for uh, wide receiver two numbers again. We'll hope and see. Um, Jonathan Taylor, Jeff in Indianapolis saw four targets and 22 touches in week 11. This is a very positive indicator. We were talking about it offline. Um, that's his most targets since week six. Uh, he also saw his most carries since his breakout week two performance, 26 for one one and a touchdown against Minnesota. Um, really, really strong stuff for Jonathan Taylor. However, we can't completely ignore what has happened before that. Um, he hadn't seen more than 12 targets since week four. 
He, in his last three games before this game, he had not eclipsed 27 rushing yards, uh, and he also had a pretty stale receiving role. So this is an outlier relative to the recent performances that we've seen from Taylor. And, you know, we hope that this is obviously going to continue, but he hasn't, he has only one touchdown in the last five weeks. He had one that was called he back. He had one that was called back. I mean, it's happened to Naheem Hines as well. So it's just kind of part of the game. Um, but, you know, he's got Tennessee. That's an okay matchup in week 12. Houston's a really good matchup. Uh, the Raiders, decent matchup. Houston, again, good matchup. Pittsburgh, not a good matchup in week 16. Um, what say you about how, how comfortable are you, Jeff, with starting Jonathan Taylor as we approach the fantasy football playoffs as an RB2? I feel pretty good about it. Um, I mean, he is still an RB2 on the season. Uh, regarding his receiving work, um, he's the – I think he leads all – rookie running backs in uh, yards per target and is tied with DeAndre Swift in yards per route run. Like he has been a very effective receiver. Uh, like it's just volume has been a little inconsistent there. Um, but now, I mean, he said he saw a, you know, his biggest workload and he looked good doing it too. You know, whatever it was that wasn't clicking with him throughout most of the season, it seemed like it started to click. So as long as that keeps happening, um, there's really no reason not to fire him up. Um, but I'm not saying that you're just blindly firing him up week for the rest of the season, but I think you can start him with some confidence this going into this Tennessee matchup. And like said, these other all these other matchups, save Pittsburgh, are also strong if he keeps his position as the lead back. It does look like they've almost completely phased out Jordan Wilkins as anything other than just uh to give Hines and Taylor a little breather. So, you know, split backfields, we can, as like Ian Hart says, we can live with split backfields. We cannot live with three, like uh, three man backfields. So split backfield, you know, we can manage that with Taylor and Hines. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I guess my skepticism comes from the fact that we've seen Wilkins have a game, uh, a big game in the last couple of weeks. We've seen Taylor have multiple bad games. We've seen Naheem Hines have big games. So I don't know that I'm looking at this and, and saying this is the trend going forward. We should continue this line upward for, or, or at least very high for his opportunity and be all that confident about it. Um, you said he's an, he's been an RB2 in production this year. Uh, he's, you know, he's had a reasonable floor, I suppose, most weeks. Uh, we haven't really seen a great ceiling from him. He has been a much, much better than expected receiver and his expectations were pretty low, but we know he's a, he's a talented playmaker. Um, I just wonder, you know, how standard last week is going to be because it hasn't been standard whatsoever. I mean, that kind of volume we haven't seen for 10 weeks from him. So uh, I'm still skeptical about Jonathan Taylor. Obviously, I'd love to be, you know, all over him because I have him in a lot of leagues. Uh, so we'll we'll continue to monitor that situation and see what happens. Um, last one I have here, Jeff, is Kalen Balaj, a guy that is all of a sudden fantasy football relevant in 2020. Not something we expected. Saw 16 carries and nine targets in week 11. Now, Austin Eckler hasn't been cleared yet for Buffalo. We aren't sure. It's, he seems very optimistic. He says, I've done everything in rehab. All I have to do is get cleared to play. So it sounds like it's trending that way. So Kalen Blage's uh, fantasy utility is probably running out, although maybe he continues to split with Austin Eckler. It might be a good time to buy if you still have some room in your trade deadline. Um with that volume that Kalen Blas saw in week 12 or week 11, rather, 
in week 12, he gets Buffalo, uh, which we know is a, re- a week run D. And, you know, if Austin Eckler isn't back yet, I think we got to feel pretty good about Kalen Balazs as a low-end, uh, you know, mid-tier RB2. What say you, Jeff? Yeah, yeah, as long as there's no Eckler, you can start Balazs. Okay, good stuff. Um, let's move on to the Sunday slate here. We're going to do a little DFS preview, uh, more standard, um, you know, like we usually do ahead of the weekend. So there's some extra time here than, you know, we usually do this on Friday. So we've got some cushion guys, make sure to check back in. Um, you know, some of these things may not age well, uh, assuming, you know, just with the variability that comes with 2020, uh, and COVID tests and such like that. So anyway, uh, Jeff, let's start with talking about game stacks as we always do. What is a game stack that you like this weekend? Bills Chargers, baby. Oh, yeah. Okay. I think the appeal is pretty um, obvious on that one, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it is. Um, I mean, Alan Diggs. Alan. <laughs> Alan. Uh, well, that's it's actually a really expensive stack. If you do that, you're going to need to find some money to save elsewhere. Um, you know, might be a little bit uh, more cost efficient to either uh, play like run it back with Henry or... Um, um, Mike Williams, you know, or if you did a Herbert Allen stack, then maybe you save some money by running it back with like Beasley or, you know, tight end dart throwing Croft or Knox. Um, but yeah, I think those, like, that's going to be a really fun game. Um, yeah, I guess your turn. Yeah. Um, I'll just say one last thing. Mike, Mike Williams is still kind of an interesting guy. He's seen uh, eight, seven, five, and seven targets in his last four weeks. Uh, also cleared 80 yards in three of those four weeks as well. So that, uh, and, and two touchdowns too. So he's still a guy that you could consider tossing up. We know that he has ceilings, ceiling games in his repertoire. It's just the floor is concerning. Um, Jeff, are there any two more similar quarterbacks in the league than Justin Herbert and Josh Allen? I don't think so. I mean, not, I didn't spend as much time as QB class as I have in the past, but you know, my brief synopsis of Herbert was like basically slightly less athletic, Josh Allen, but a little bit more refined. Um, I, I did. I obviously sold him short. I mean, a lot of that, I mean, a lot of people did with hindsight. Not Oregon, not utilizing his strengths and skill set at all. But yeah, like they look very similar. It should be a fun game. Yeah, uh, I mean, just I don't know how you could pick anyone other than Justin Herbert for uh, offensive rookie of the year in terms of players that are reasonable uh, in that conversation. Um, Okay, I think another one uh, that is worth considering, and I usually go, you know, there's the obvious ones that are going to stand out to people. I like to look for the ones that might be able to get some differentiation. I think Arizona, New England is one that is interesting this week. Obviously, we know Kyler is, you know, super, super talented and having a great season, but don't don't forget about the runback options in New England. Jacoby Myers has been on fire in terms of opportunity, and Demir Burgess had his blow-up game last week. So I think New England has some good runback options if you wanted to go with a you know, somewhat expensive Arizona stack. Um, there's just a ton of guys that are in play in, the, in that game. So I like that one. Um, Jeff, what say you about that? And then give us another one too. Oh, I like that one. It's a strong game. You can, like, that's another one. You can play either side and run it back. Um, two games for secondary stacks that I like. First one will be a little chalkier, but we discussed some of those pieces earlier today in the Vikings-Panthers game. Um, you know, just some fantastic wide receivers. DJ Moore seems to be back in his wide receiver one role. Jefferson and Thielen or Dalvin's actually up to 9,500. He's like really expensive. Uh, Panthers run, he has not been very good. 
so that is a strong secondary stack. I don't really want to play the quarterbacks, but and then the other one that will definitely be underowned, I believe, are the Dolphins and Jets. Denzel Mims is saw is like thirty six hundred, I think, and he's getting all the volume you could ask for for a rookie. Um, you know, tough matchup with the secondary, but still, that's you know some really cheap volume. And then on the Dolphins side, I mean, anyone can feast against the Jets. Devontae Parker could absolutely um, feast on that secondary or, I don't know, maybe like Mike Gusecki at tight end or something. But I like um, sprinkling a little bit of like a Parker Mims secondary stack into some lineups this week. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that secondary stack option. Uh, I actually had written that one up myself. Uh, I, I, I result, uh, resolved to just stick with uh, Denzel Mims as a top play. I've got some things to add on him as well. Um, but I think what's really interesting about one of the ones you said, Jeff, is Carolina's situation right now. Uh, obviously, P.J. Walker is the quarterback at the moment. Teddy Bridgewater might be back as soon as this week, I suppose. It's possible. Uh, the last three weeks, D.J. Moore has overtaken Robbie Anderson barely as the RB, as a wide receiver one. Curtis Samuel is barely behind Robbie Anderson. So it's still a three-headed monster here. Uh, it also helps that D.J. Moore has been by far the most productive receiver of the bunch. Um, and, you know, it's it's... I guess interesting to see that the target share is starting to climb back in, in DJ Moore's favor while the air yard share stays really high in his favor. Uh, you know, red zone targets six for Curtis Samuel the last three weeks, four combined for DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. So it really is a three headed monster and Christian McCaffrey's out this week. So I guess it can stay, uh, you know, more in the favor of the wide receivers over the running back position. But um, if you have DJ Moore, you got to feel excited about what you've seen the last two weeks with him being the wide receiver one option over Robbie Anderson. So I uh, wanted to add that. Jeff, let us build a top lineup here with uh, your favorite game stack and your favorite secondary game stack. All right. So I was building one, the Bills Charger. So Allen Diggs, Henry. Um, oh, another player that I like and a game you could probably stack. Nelson Aguilar is only 4,900. And then they're playing Atlanta. So that you could you know, run it back then with Ridley or Julio if he's healthy. Um, so this one, I was just kind of wanting to go a lot more, uh, a lot heavier on the receivers. Uh, so I fired up Allen, Diggs, Henry. Kind of went cheap with some still decent upside at running back with Wayne Gallman and John Taylor. Um, Giant playing Cincinnati. Could see like a very heavy positive game script and, you know, 20 carries for Gallman. Um, so I want to put DJ Moore in the flex. Let's put in that Denzel Mims. Pivot from Aguilar to Devontae Parker. And at defense, we can play the Browns. So we're going Allen. Goldman, Taylor, Diggs, Mims, Parker, Hunter Henry, DJ Moore, and the Browns defense. Okay. I like it, man. You know, this is not my traditional build. Usually I do like to have my, uh, like, bell cow, more expensive running backs. But, I mean, I think they're both a little bit underpriced. Uh, I think they're pretty fairly priced, but they have a more upside than what we usually see at that price range. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, obviously, guys, make sure to check out uh, contestacatch.com forward slash DFS for our DFS lop lineup generator or optimizer tool. Um, if you guys have not yet, it's a really good tool. We've had a lot of good feedback. Uh, and, you know, we're looking forward to uh, hopefully some big money on that again this week. Um, 
In terms of top plays, Jeff, and just, you know, standalone guys that we want to target, you know, we already talked about Denzel Mims. I'll just add this. He's seventh in rock the last three weeks. He has entered the top 10 rock star territory, 45% air yard share. He is also the third biggest underproducer during this time. The reason I point this out is that he has not been priced based on this opportunity. He's being priced based on his production, which is significantly lower than what we'd expect for someone receiving his opportunity. Also, another reminder, this is a guy that has DK Metcalf level athleticism. He is the type of guy that uh, not not quite at the same. I think he's about 20 pounds less than DK Metcalf. Um, That's a lot. It's a lot. But in terms of the other measurables that he ran at the combine, uh, another guy that I really like this week is Jerry Judy, uh, another rookie. But um, he is second in air yards behind another rookie, Chase Claypool, uh, over the last three weeks. And uh, Jerry Judy still has 150 more than third. It is not even close. Uh, Chase Claypool and Jerry Judy have been in a tier of their own in terms of air yards recently, uh, both around 500. And Judy is fifth in rock. So these are two guys that the the the, the bar has been set really high for them um, based on the opportunity they've been getting. And I think that you can still get an edge by playing them. Um, two other guys that I'll just throw out there, Darius Slayton and Mike Evans. Darius Slayton is a, is a uh, guy that we've seen have huge ceiling games. I think this is a good spot for him and they're coming off, uh, you know, with some extra rest here. So I think that Darius Slayton is a good play this week. And Mike Evans, ninth in rock the last three weeks with an NFL best 10 red zone targets. Uh, we just saw Tampa Bay struggle. And I think that people are probably down on this Tampa Bay offense. I have been down on Mike Evans all year. But all of a sudden, that, that receiving opportunity is starting to climb again. Uh, we know that Antonio Brown is getting a lot of looks, and we know that Chris Godwin is still a great player. But, you know, I'm not going to uh, scoff at the opportunity that Mike Evans is getting, especially the lucrative red zone role that he has seen all year. So, um, Jeff, any other top plays that you want to point out here for a DFS preview on Sunday? Uh, yes, Ravens Steelers is being moved to Sunday, but I don't think it will be on the slate. Um, if it is, then, well, Gus Edwards is interesting at 4,000. Mm -hmm as the only Ravens running back eligible to play besides Justice Hill. Um, I feel like he would be more of a fade if that, if that he is on the slate. I, I said, I'm not sure what they're doing there. Um, I think I would also pivot away from Deontay and rather go Juju or Claypool, uh, just assuming that like, Jimmy Smith like blanketed Deontay Johnson when they played the other time and Deontay didn't really do too much. So I think um, if I wanted, if again, this is if on the slate, I would not play Deontay and I would pivot to one of the other receivers if I were to play that game. Yeah. Uh, you know, Claypool second in rock the last three weeks and Deontay is 15th in rock the last two weeks um, or last three weeks, excuse me. Uh, it, you know, it's still in Claypool's favor. He's still getting that crazy air yard rule, 43% of air yards for Steelers over that time, first in, in overall air yards and tied for second in red zone targets. So yeah, Deontay continues to light up the stat sheet, especially in PPR formats because of uh, that low A dot roll, only 7.7 .7 versus 13.5 for Claypool. So I like Claypool as well over Deontay in DFS. Um, all right, good stuff, Jeff. Let's move on to our Sunday bet segment. Um, I've got a few here that I want to talk through and uh, then we'll wrap up with the bills. But first, let's start with uh, Arizona minus two and a half versus New England. Now, I know it's New England. I know it's Belichick. I know Cam has looked better recently. Uh, and Arizona just got uh, almost beat by the bills in week 11 or week 10, rather. Um, 
And I think that at the same time, Arizona's, I think, the better team at this point. Uh, I think things have really started to come together for that offense. And I think the defense is really starting to put, put it together as well uh, as they use more and more of Isaiah Simmons, which is a really strong indicator. So I think two and a half is a little bit mispriced. I think maybe it should be like four or five. So I'm going with Arizona minus two and a half against New England. What do you what do you think, Jeff? Um, yeah, I, th- I like that. Um, I would probably spot it more like a field goal than four. Uh, but yeah, I think um, I like the Cardinals there. I like the Panthers plus four against Minnesota. Mm, interesting. Whether rolling with PJ PJ Walker, either or. Okay. I mean, I don't, I don't know, I don't care. <laughs> um, like Cousins and between Cousins and that like poorest defense, they, I just don't think there's a reason for the Vikings to get more than a field goal against um, fair. like most teams in this That's league. Fair. So Panthers plus four. Okay. Uh, I like Bill's money line, but we'll talk about the Bills in the next segment. Um, I like the Giants minus six. Reminder, Brandon Allen, just promoted from the practice squad, is going to be starting for the Bengals. And the Giants uh, have some extra rest here. I think it's a little ridiculous that we're not giving them a touchdown um, in this game. So I'll take Giants minus six. I don't think the Bengals, outside of the super high volume passing attack that has been all Joe Burrow, really have anything to be afraid of. And, you know, the Giants aren't like an exceptional uh, team in the league, but at the same time, they still have the ability to put up points and they still have some playmakers on defense. Um, I'll go Giants minus six. And then the last one for me, Jeff, uh, Kansas City minus three and a half versus Tampa Bay. Uh, I think we've seen it. Yeah, pound it for sure. I think that that is so mispriced. Uh, You know, I do think that Tom Brady still has some good games in him probably. He has not done well uh, in the big spots this year, I don't think. Um, he has not done well. It's past, it's, well, it's past his bedtime. Past his bedtime. There you go. All those primetime games. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, Kansas City minus three and a half. I mean, I don't know how you're going to pick against Kansas City against really anyone. And if it's only three and a half, that just feels mispriced. Um, so that's where I stand on Sunday bets. Jeff, any comments on those ones or any others you want to bring to our attention? Um. Well, I think it's just notable that the we have a line for the Bears-Packers, despite the fact we have no idea who the Bears quarterback is going to be because usually uh, when there's some big injuries with the quarterback position, Vegas will withhold the lines. They just don't care because it's Mr. Bisky, Nick Foles, or whoever that other guy is, and they're like, eh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. They're all bad. Yeah, that's the biggest spread of the week, I believe. Eight and a half is what I saw. Um Here's another fan question, Jeff. I was asked to rank uh, by a friend of mine, Matt, Michael Thomas, Stephon Diggs, Keenan Allen, and Allen Robinson the rest of the season. I said Diggs, Allen, Thomas, A-Rob. And I think there's really a a three-man tier at the top. And then Allen Robinson is like really almost not even in in the same conversation at this point. We know the talent is 100% there, but all of a sudden the volume's gone and all of a sudden the quarterback plays bottom barrel of the league. Uh, I think Michael Thomas, I, I just put him at third because it's still more speculative and he still has Taysom Hill. And we've only seen one game with him. Um, you know, he got fed, but still it's just, we're not, can't be as confident. And then Diggs and Allen are just two guys that are established wide receiver ones, uh, volume production, quarterback play, everything's there. So, uh, sounds like you don't have any disagreements on that one. Um, okay. Let's, let's wrap up here with our bills coverage. Jeff Buffalo is seven and three coming off the bye. Uh, preceded by the heartbreaker in Arizona. That was, you know, we talked about this one with Kyle last week. Uh, he was at the game. He caught a football from Jordan Poyer. 
Uh, really cool that he was there. Really not cool how the game ended. Um, you know, the Bills looked like they had a last second comeback with the Diggs touchdown in the back left corner of the end zone. And then uh, the other back left corner of the end zone saw DeAndre Hopkins win the Hale Murray. Um, so that's unfortunate. Uh, it is what it is. Bills are seven and three still. And I, I think against a pretty dangerous three and seven team, uh, you know, you look at seven, three versus three and seven, you'd think, OK, it's pretty good. Pretty good game for Buffalo to win. Uh, the Chargers have lost three of the last four, and the only win came uh, as a six-point win against the Jets, who are winless still. So really not strong indicators there. I just don't think those numbers are indicative of the quality of team that the Chargers are. They just find a way to lose. But they never are. Yeah, they they're just find a way to lose right at the last second almost all the time. So um, I'm not going to change that result for this one. Uh, I think J- Justin Herbert should win Offensive Rookie of the Year. And Josh Allen, uh, on the other hand, has uh, had a masterclass performance against Seattle in week eight and then had or week nine, I think it was. um, And then he had an up and down game against Arizona. Uh, We thought we won it. We didn't. That wasn't the case. But I think you should look for Allen to get back on track in a high scoring affair. I like Buffalo to win 30 to 24. Uh, I think that's a pretty reasonable outcome there, Jeff. And I think that uh, the Chargers play play as tough, but I think the Bills pull it out. Go eight and three. What do you think? Yeah, sounds sounds good to me. I could even see it being higher scoring. Um, I think one other thing I want to point out is that against the Dolphins, Herbert said he did get confused with some of the looks that they were giving. And I mean, the Bills' defense is known, especially in the secondary, of really disguising coverage as well and you know switching into something at the last minute or right after the snap, after like showing a different blitz or. Uh, coverage or whatever so I think that is one area that we hopefully will be able to kind of uh like have an extra edge on the defense it's just the mental aspect of the of the game not to say that Herbert won't get his on occasion but you know I think we should be able to trick him into like making a couple mistakes that will um definitely just help tilt the scales in our favor aside from Allen just dealing Yep. Josh. Yeah. Yep. Uh, no, I feel, I feel good about this one. Um, obviously hoping, uh, our, our prediction is correct here. Um, and that bills result in eight and three coming out of Thanksgiving. Obviously Josh Allen had his previous best game of his career against Dallas last year, a big, big time Thanksgiving dub, um, on Thanksgiving day, which was awesome. So, Hopefully we have another uh, high point coming off of this one. So Jeff, any final thoughts here as we wrap up the Thanksgiving special? Nope. Just happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Um, you know, be safe. Um, you know, as you know, not to say that you can't enjoy, I don't want to say, you know, come out and say, Nope, can't spend time with your family, but you know, just, you know, be smart, be safe, be healthy, enjoy the holidays. Agreed. Agreed. Um, absolutely. Enjoy football. You know, we're not getting as much as we thought we were on Thanksgiving Day, but mm-hmm. hopefully another good uh, week ahead and another profitable yeah. one at that. Really, it was really looking forward to having an excuse to ignore my family. <laughs> not anymore. You can just watch the rerun. Uh, OK, good stuff. Um, with that said, guys, reminder, we uh, are back to normal scheduling, uh, most likely in week 13. So with that said, you know where to find us on Twitter at Buff Bill Stats for Jeff at Contested Catch for me. Uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in. We are thankful for you uh, in this in this holiday season. We'll remind you that. Um, and so we appreciate you guys. Wish you the best of luck this week. And we hope to catch you next time. Bye.